Let us pray. O Lord, our God, speak to us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us your word of life that we might be like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning's text begins to give us a glimpse into the life of the prophet Elijah. Elijah is the archetypal prophet of the Old Testament. If you ask people, who is a prophet? What does a prophet look like? It's this guy. It's Elijah. And the prophets of the Old Testament were wild men. They were crazy. Stuff was crazy going on around them and to them all the time throughout the Old Testament. And when I read the stories of Elijah in 1 Kings, it reminds me of what a pastor named Ben Patterson wrote in his book on prayer, lamenting himself in relation to the Apostle Paul. He wrote that when the Apostle Paul went somewhere, anywhere, riots broke out. And wherever it seems I go, they're just serving tea. Elijah and Paul, these are big God that, are, that is descending upon them. If you want to find the action in the Old Testament, look for Elijah, look for Elisha, look for the other prophets. And the God that they are representing there is not the one who's saying, play nice with each other, but the God who says, I'm about to drop fire on the earth, doing God-sized things doing God-sized miracles. Elijah was the guy who went to Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and called down fire to consume the water-soaked sacrifice. He is the one who defeated those 450 prophets of Baal, and he talked trash to them while he was doing it. When he told you that God was going to send a drought, which he did to Ahab, You better already have water in reserve because it was going to happen soon. You can read all about it in 1 Kings. Elijah had pronounced this drought that was coming, and so God had sent him before he was going to be killed out into the wilderness. He said, I'll take care of you. Go to this brook that I prepared for you. Well, then the brook dried up. And the passage that we have is when God started to speak again. He said, Elijah, get up and go to this town of Zarephath, and there a widow will provide for you. Elijah comes out of the wilderness after the brook had dried up, and he found this widow at the city gates gathering sticks for a fire. Think about where this widow stood in her life for a moment. Her husband who provided for her, Her standing in the community had died, maybe even as a result of this very famine, which they were still suffering. She could not provide for her son. She lived in a region called Zarephath, which was not even within the kingdom of Israel. In fact, it was the home area of Queen Jezebel who was swearing to kill the prophet Elijah. She was not even a believer in the God of Israel. Gods in those days had boundaries. And the God of Israel, you could tell because when she spoke to Elijah, she said, your God of Israel. Widows and orphans are categories given to us throughout Scripture as those for whom we are called to care. Those for whom we are called to provide. And yet God said to his prophet that this most vulnerable vessel would be the one by whom he provided for Elijah. God seems to make a habit of that throughout Scripture. 
God seems to make a habit of, of taking those things that are humble and left behind, those who seem to be the least, from choosing for himself a slave people in Egypt to call his own, to the ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax collectors who were the disciples of Jesus, to choosing the cross, the place of suffering and shame, to be the instrument of his salvation. God is always choosing those that are downtrodden, those that are seem to be humble, and the ones that no one in their right mind would choose by any human metric to provide blessing for his people. And he's gonna use this widow who has nothing left to feed his prophet. The stranger finds Elijah at the, widow, at, the, at the gate of the city and he asks for a cup of water and a small cake. The widow said, as surely as your God lives, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of meal and a jar of oil one serving of each, and I am here to gather sticks for a fire so that I could bake my son and me one last meal before we die of starvation. Can you imagine the desperation in her mind and in her soul, having resigned herself that that was how this was going to go? that this would be the last meal that she had. And then this stranger comes and asks for that last bit of food that she has and asks her to cook it, by the way. How does that happen? But Elijah said to her what is said throughout scripture. He says, do not be afraid. Go and do that thing which you said you were going to do. But first, just make me a little cake and bring me a little bit of water. And afterwards, you'll be able to make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil shall not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. How often does it seem like in scripture that when God encounters a human being, the first thing that God's word says is don't be afraid, fear not. It's said that it's in the scriptures in some derivation, 365 times, one for each day of the year. Why is it that is repeated so frequently in scripture, be not afraid, do not be afraid, fear not. It must be because we humans have a tendency to fall into fear. It must be something that we need to be reminded of over and over by God, that we do not need to be afraid. And fear keeps us from walking in faith. Fear keeps us from trusting God, that he will do what he said. And that lack of trust is one facet of sin in our lives, not trusting that God will do what God has said he will do. For whatever reason, this widow listens. For whatever reason, maybe it was her Hail Mary pass that she made, knowing that I'm gonna die anyway, I might as well try it with this God, the God of Israel. She fixes that small cake for Elijah. And I think it's important to note that she didn't just say, I believe, she did something. She actually took action with her life. 
Many times we think of faith as something that happens in the cathedral or the laboratory, but faith is something that requires that we do something with our lives. It's easy enough to believe in God as we say the creed in the sanctuary on a Sunday, but the truth of faith is born out in the real world. The truth of faith is born out in our homes, in the way we love our wives and our husbands, in the way we parent our children, in the way that we go to work in our offices, in the way that we play at the ball fields with others, in the way that we live at school with our classmates. That's where faith is lived out and it becomes real. We have to do something to reflect the faith that God has planted in our lives and the things that we say we believe. Do we trust God in those places too? This poor widow places the seal on her faith in a God whose name she did not even know. She offered what she believed to be the last of her meal and the last of her oil. The last thing that she had on this earth she offered to God. She thought for her it would mean death, but she stepped in genuine faith, believing that what the prophet said was true, that her oil and her meal would not run out until God sent rain. Only God could do that. Only God. Camille Franck writes in our devotion on this passage, she writes, if we allow him, God will take us to that place where there is no one else to help us but him. And the question is, do we really want to go to that place? Do we really want to go to that place where we are at the end of our resources, at the end of the things that we can provide and do, whatever our capacity might be, and that only God is going to be able to bring us through and do that great work in this world? Do we want to be in that place where he is the only one who can provide what we need? The poor widow gives us an example of exactly that. She offers one serving of oil and one serving of meal. The only supplies that she has left, she gives them to the man of God. And we read that she went as Elijah had said, so that she as well as she and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied. The bottle of oil did not fail. God provided for her in abundance with the people around her as well as she had offered up all that she had. Elijah stayed with them for quite some time, it appears, and there was always plenty to eat. This story of the widow and Elijah in the Old Testament has echoes in the New Testament as well. Immediately to mind comes that widow who came as the people were giving their offerings at the temple and Jesus was there. And the rich people were coming through and they were making sure that everybody saw the bills that they were peeling off to put in the offering plate so that everybody would know just how godly they were. Look what we're giving to God at the temple. And the poor humble widow comes and gives her last two mites. Jesus saw that. 
And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. She gave out of poverty and put in everything she had, everything that she had to live on. Jesus used the poor to teach a lesson to the rich. And God blessed her. Even more directly, I see the parallel with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus took those five loaves and two fish, a meager lunch for a boy, and used it to feed the crowd in abundance with so much left over. Only God could do that. Only a big God could do that. But it took a child offering five loaves and two fish, the only lunch that he had. And the Lord used it to feed that crowd. So the question comes from this little poor widow in the Old Testament, whose name we don't even know. What are we offering to God? What is the God-sized thing that he is inviting us to step into, but fear might be holding us back? What is the aspect of our lives that we need to hear the prophet's words, don't be afraid? For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied. The bottle of oil will not fail until the Lord your God sends rain. What's the area of our lives? What's the risk that we need to take, as Brent was inviting us this morning, to, to be part of the God-sized work that he is doing all around us? We kid ourselves. We delude ourselves often, I think, to believe that the things that we have achieved and accumulated, the things that we are bringing to God are so valuable. But the reality is that all any of us has in the divine economy is a one portion of meal and one portion of oil. Five loaves and two fish, not enough to do any God-sized thing, but God asks that we give it to him because with his power, he feeds and blesses the multitude because of one small gift. And the truth too is that when we offer everything that we have and are, we never run out of that thing that we have given. In our church, we're entering a season of thanksgiving along with our nation. We're also entering a season of stewardship as well. We're grateful that God has blessed us and he's brought us this far, right? Through the season of COVID, through social unrest, through the disaster that is our political scene at the moment. And in the history of the American church, it feels like so many are doing more harm than good. And yet God has sustained us to this place. The question of stewardship is what will we do with that for which we thank God? What will we do with that abundance with which he has blessed us? It's my hope that we will prayerfully, each one of us and our families consider the question in the coming weeks. Now, you might think this church is rich. They don't need my money. I would just give them a drop in the bucket. 
To that, I would have kind of a twofold response. One is that the tithe that God asks of us, the 10% that God asks of us, is not so much about what goes into the church. It's about our own relationship and obedience to him. It's about our own capacity to sacrifice before God. Are we willing to give of what we have to God in obedience, even though we can make a list of things that we might not be able to enjoy if we give that 10% to God? Count the cost of really stepping in faith and following him with our finances as well as our time and attention. And that's what we'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks. How do we honor God in our time and attention as well? The second part of that response doesn't come from me. I don't feel like it comes from the widow of Zarephath. What can God do with the gifts that we give? What can God do? God-sized things, answering the prayers of his people, providing for those who are in need, granting eternal life to people. Think about those days when our students stand at this very pulpit and confess their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and their desire to follow him. Think about the way that God is drawing people, even in these days of separation. He's bringing them to connect with himself and with his family at this church at Westminster. Thanks be to God. Think about the ways that we are able to still connect families and cross generations through Sunday schools and Wednesday night and choirs and everything else, service projects in our community. We're able to be a blessing together in the name of Jesus Christ. We're able to partner with people around this community and around the world that God knows and God uses. Parts of the body that are doing ministry in places where we are not present, Brent being one of them. We got an email from another one of them this past week. There was a family that had been through really hard times students at Gordon-Conwell Seminary pursuing God's call on their lives. And our mission partnership team was able to provide their tuition. They were behind on their payments, and we were able to provide their tuition for the rest of the year. The email said this, we are blown away by this. You have no idea what that means to us. Truly, we are grateful beyond words. What a joy it is to hear such support is coming. And it will bring a bit of peace to our hearts, knowing our education has been secured here for our remaining two semesters. Praise God for such a blessing. Thank you. Praise God for such a blessing and for the ability to be the instrument of that blessing. What we gave was not a huge amount in the economy of our church but it was everything that they had been praying for and that God had heard their prayer and they gave praise to God. What is God up to that we can partner with, not even knowing on the front end everything that he is going to be about, every blessing that he is going to pour out on the other side? 
May God give us faith to offer what we have for his work and for his glory, for the blessing of his children and for his family to be drawn together under the head of Jesus Christ. May God do only the things that he can do in this church and in this world, and may we be part of it. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. God of the surprise, we confess that too often we keep you in a little box on a shelf that we can take to church with us. Truly, God, that is an idol, for you cannot be contained. You are doing God-sized things, and we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would allow us to walk in that way as well, seeing what you are up to, hearing your voice and your redemption in this world. I pray, God, to thank you for this widow living thousands of years ago who gave of the last that she had, trusting that you would take care of her as the prophet said. And I pray that you would make her an example in our lives. Draw us out to those places where only you can possibly provide the victory that we might give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.